0: Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. Watch, chop, retrofit.
1: What's a cat's favorite TV show? Um. What? Claw in order. Oh, TV show. I was trying to think of a channel. Channel? Yeah. I was thinking like Now TV. That's true. But this isn't a dad joke podcast. Oh, we're recording now. <laughs> yes. I love it. Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. This is a bi weekly movie podcast when we're on fire. Somewhat. We're going to be talking about movies, and uh, we're excited to have you joining us today. And I also want to say I'm glad to have a couple of guests joining us today. I'm your brew boss, Sean, and I'm joined with Todd. That's, that's correct. Welcome, that's Todd. Right. Glad glad you're back, we missed you last episode Yeah, sounded like a fun one, but glad to be here again Ready to impart some knowledge today And uh, we're thrilled to welcome back to the show The podfather himself, Travisito Oh man, I
0: saw um, that you were listening to the radio on the way in And it was Adele's Rolling in the Deep And you were doing like a little dance with your dog in the kitchen You didn't see me, but I saw you And... I just want
1: to say, man, you do your thing. No, you didn't see that. (laughs) You did not see that. (laughs) We're going to lead off the show with the uh, the, uh, rare RIP. We haven't done these in a while, but I felt this one was kind of significant. Uh, This is a rest in peace, rest in power to Paul Rubens. Oh, yes. uh, Yes. Better known as Pee Wee Herman. We lost him uh, to a battle with cancer. Fuck cancer. Fuck cancer. Uh, Poor guy was privately battling this uh, and... Uh, it just really hit me hard that, uh, that he was gone. Uh, yeah. yeah those... This, uh, show came out and Travis is around the same age as me. So
2: five, six. So like I was right in from the beginning. It was my favorite show. I to this day still have the talking <coughs> Peewee, uh, doll where you really? oh, in from, from Peewee's Playhouse. Yep. And, and the cherry as well. The big cherry. I also have, uh, the, the lesser known, uh, Playhouse playset. set. So it's mm-hmm. like this one. Remember those, um, things that, uh you could that had the um the buttons on them and you would unbutton it and it was like a you know a big set of something yeah, yeah like, a, yeah. like a,
0: almost like a, like a box that unfolds like a diorama it. precisely
2: yes. yeah i had the Wee's playhouse version of that including the action that's figure incredible Pee- so um i've still got some of that to this day mm-hmm. uh, it was actually the that what i just described was set up uh, in my house for a long time it's in storage now but um anyway and by so,
0: storage you mean ebay <laughs>
2: uh, I probably should put it on eBay. I think those things are pretty valuable now.
1: But Pee-wee made think, a yeah, big impact was... on me. I, was, uh, I watched his special on HBO when it came out in like mm. 1980. Yeah, uh, That was a great show. And then my parents introduced me to David Letterman because mm-hmm. Paul Rubens was on the show a lot. And uh, it was really neat seeing a lot of those clips people were posting on social media. Well, the contrast...
0: Contrast between Pee Wee's over the top and Letterman's
1: buttoned up. And then uh, the outpouring of support, uh, the Alamo posted on their social media account and said that since 1985, not a day goes by where someone doesn't ask to see the basement. And they, you know, Give it all, <laughs> all credit to Pee Wee Herman for, yep. for that. The, uh, the oh wait the, the actual Alamo. The Alamo. I thought you meant
0: Alamo Draft House, no, the movie. The theater. Alamo. Actually, I thought you meant the Alamo, <laughs> the Alamo, and then I was like, oh, he's talking about the movie theater.
1: No, I'm no, not the real Alamo. Yeah, they well, posted re- about it. That just means that I have to remember the Alamo. Yeah, you should. And then of course there was the scene uh the roadside attraction with the giant dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they repainted the big T Rex with a gray tuxedo. Nice. Oh, wow, uh, and nice. so I'm like, man, that's... what a
0: unequivocal cultural icon. Yeah. There's no other fucking Pee-Wee Herman. There's no knockoffs.
2: And that character was so brilliant because he could appeal to an adult audience Mm -hmm. as, you know, uh, Pee-Wee's Big Adventure certainly does. But then he could also adapt that character to uh, Pee-Wee's Playhouse, which obviously Mm -hmm. was directed more towards kids and
1: it was just a very brilliant, versatile character. So a big, big rest in peace, rest in power to Paul Reubens. We're gonna miss... His contributions. Uh, just a funny, funny guy. a uh, couple couple trivia questions. Okay, hit us. Uh
0: so what comedy troupe did Pee Wee start out in? The Groundlings. The Groundlings. Um what feature film was
1: the first appearance of Pee Wee's Playhouse? Pee Wee's Playhouse. I'm sorry, of Pee Wee Herman. Uh was it was it the Cheech and Chong movie? Which yes. one? I can't remember which movie it was, but I remember it was Cheech and Chong. It was their next movie. The, Ching Chong's next, next, next movie. movie. Okay.
0: And finally, here's a here's a bone I'm throwing it to the audience. Uh, who played Cowboy Curtis? Uh, Lawrence, Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne. Incorrect. Yeah. Larry
1: Fishburne before <laughs> uh, 1993. <okay. laughs> uh, I've got a trivia one for you. Paul Ruben's father was a founding member of what country's Air Force?
0: Oh, okay. Um, Give me just a second. Great Britain. Is it Poland? No. Israel. Israel. Okay. It was like Ruben. What was his actual original name? I think the
1: last name was Rubens. I don't think it was like Rubenstein. I I, I think it was Rubenstein, actually. Rubenstein. Rubenstein? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, anyway, uh, yeah. So that's that's our little tribute to Paul Rubens. Man, I should have got that. It's okay.
0: I was thinking Rubinski.
1: This week's episode, we've been teasing it for a while. It's our Fan Theories episode, our crazy outlandish movie Fan Theories episode. I got one. I've got three.
0: Epstein did 9-11. Oh,
1: God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Prove me wrong.
1: <laughs> Prove me wrong. We've, we've, we've deep-dived some news groups and some uh, chat rooms to discern some of the craziest fan theories that we could find for popular films so we could warp your brains and make you see the films in a new light. I like it. Who wants to go first? I think we're starting with the guest, Todd. Sure. The main, I'll go ahead.
0: Main guy here.
2: Okay. I'm starting off with 1985's Back to the Future. Yes. Um the fan theory surrounding this, the dot brown character, uh in the movie is kind of a scatterbrained inventor, but he mostly for the most part seems kind of, you know, optimistic, we you would say.
0: Uh, however, there is a theory. He seems to be mostly good-natured. He's Correct. not. He's not malignant. Correct. Or, yeah, or malicious. I exactly. Say. Exactly.
2: This theory that I stumbled across suggests that Dot Brown was in fact suicidal. Yes. Uh, in the in the film. Oh. And there's actually some pretty good pieces of evidence for that this. That is dark. The the top piece of evidence for this is. Uh, at the beginning of the film when the DeLorean initially travels back into time uh, dot brown stands directly in the path of the car uh, as it, it goes towards him just assuming that it when it gets just to assuming that it will work point and and, six and, miles and up until hour. right and up until this point though he has not it, it, he has not had a ex- successful attempt at doing this yet or so, has he,
0: and we just haven't seen it because he went back
2: and changed it? Possibly. But the impression we're given was that this is the mm-hmm. maiden voyage. First time. Or the first time that he's really trying it out, and that's why he wants Marty there, because mm-hmm. he's called Marty out to help record it. Marty's got a camera, and he's supposed to record this. So the theory goes starting with this scene, that uh, Dot Brown stands directly in the path of the car, which, if his theory is correct, will disappear once it reaches 88 miles per hour and go back into time. Um, But the theory where the suicidal aspect comes in is, number one, he has not had a successful attempt before. So, okay, he's just super confident, right? Mm -hmm. Hmm. There's a little problem there, though. When... (laughs) it is actually successful and the car disappears, take a look at his face. He's his shot thick, off. He is absolutely shocked that but this thing works. But then immediately goes into like a Eureka jig. Yeah. Oh, he's jigging? No. He he is surprised that this thing worked. A second aspect is he created a remote control to control the car, presumably so that he would not have to be in the car and therefore in harm's way. Mm-hmm. Why stand in front of it when you, you know, don't don't know exactly? If it's gonna work or not, I mean, and of course, you know, scientists are famous for for their um, for their hesitancy about their theories, right? They, they're they're all about, you know, we gotta you know look at the we gotta look at the uh, the data, we gotta test it and test it and test it.
0: Before but Epstein did on do it. 9-11. Mm, yeah,
2: Well, I heard it was an inside job, but
1: I guess that you have no idea how okay. inside.
0: Uh,
2: in any case, <laughs> and then there
1: also he was putting himself in such harm's way with the Libyans. Correct. Okay, and that was an, that was another piece
2: of evidence that I came up with. So, uh, if, 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 for those that don't know what we're referring to, uh, the flux capacitor that Doc mm-hmm. Brown has invented to uh, that, that allows the DeLorean to go back into time is generated through uh, plutonium, plutonium because you need a nuclear reaction mm-hmm. to to get it. So the way that he gets the, his plutonium, because of course, uh, as he uh, says. As one version of himself says you can't just go into a dime store and buy plutonium, uh, is he makes an arrangement with this Libyan terrorist group uh, to build a bomb for them in exchange for plutonium. He rips them off. He, he and makes then a they, fake bomb. He make, Right. He makes a fake bomb to rip them off, and then they come to find him and shoot and kill him in one version of this. so uh, And I'll get to what I mean by version in a second. But, um, but correct, uh, when you say this is like a death wish, type move, right? Mm -hmm. Why are you, first off, yes, plutonium's hard to get, but surely he could have found a more, a less dangerous way than uh, tying himself up with Libyan terrorists, number one. Number two, uh, ripping them off. Um, Understandable that he wouldn't have want to build them a bomb, but nevertheless, it seems like, uh, this just seems like kind of a death wish short of a move,
0: right? Um, Speaking of, though, they actually wanted to cast Charles Bronson. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, you you biffed it uh yeah charles brosnan <laughs>
2: yes i actually thought of that as i was saying death wish thinking yeah. about to our previous episode but uh in any case so that was another piece of evidence was the uh getting tied up with the livians uh, which seemed extremely dangerous and uh partially unnecessary um he uh another theory about this is that uh Even though he has sort of this happy-go-lucky, somewhat optimistic facade, he is a failed inventor. Every Mm -hmm. invention that he has come up with up until this point has failed. We see in his 1955 counterpart uh, test out a brainwave analyzer, essentially to try and read uh, Marty's mind. Uh, It fails, um, and he's kind of downtrodden about that. Uh, And so... um, and so his failed efforts at at, at inventing uh, play a play of factor in it, uh, he claims that when he in 1955 supposedly he got the vi- the vision of the flux capacitor when he uh, was hanging up a clock in his bathroom settled in toilet. his cell in the toilet. Perhaps he was head in trauma. fact trying to hang himself. Head trauma too. Yep. Can affect your mental uh, health. But the theory is that maybe he was trying to hang himself. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because, you know, how often do you really see a clock in a bathroom? I mean, on occasion, maybe. I thought but... it was
0: a picture. It was, it was a clock? No, he said so he was that's hanging it that's a a re- just a reference to time.
2: Yeah, re- right. But, again, you know, if we're going off of this theory, maybe he was trying to hang himself, hit or, his head.
0: Or he was pulling a Carradine. <laughs> <laughs> Could
2: be. Could be. Still hanging himself either way. Um, or sort of. Um, so... In other words, failed inventor, low self-esteem that he masks through this sort of optimistic demeanor. Um, And then uh, on one of the Reddit sites I went to, someone said, well, wait a minute, though. Like, that all changes because Marty goes back in time and he knows that he has successfully invents the time machine. But this brings us up to the alternate dimensions theory. Yes. Which uh, is actually... uh, Referenced briefly by Dot Brown in Back to the Future Part 2. He has a, a chalkboard where he references the fact that, that the previous timeline, they can't go back there and fix that. He doesn't go into it, he doesn't give it names or anything like that, like, you know, a Rick and Morty type of thing, but he does allude to it. So you essentially have uh, three uh, timelines that exist. You have the primary timeline where Marty's family is relatively poor or. Timeline. You know, yep. And, uh, and, and Marty's father is a pushover to Biff, who kind of pushes him around. This is the, called the Twin Pines Theory. Much
0: like Twin, Jerry. Yes. So Rick Twin
2: Pines comes from the name of the mall that they hung out at. Mm-hmm. The secondary timeline is uh, Marty's parents don't get together because Marty in 1955 uh, has uh, stopped what was going to be their mm-hmm. initial beating. At With least his initially. charisma. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: His mom has fallen in love with her son. So there's like this whole Oedipus, Oedipus thing going on here. He's trying not to sleep with his mom. Um, so another weird like idea for a blockbuster movie. The comedian uh, John uh, Mulvaney kind of has a whole bit about this that's that's pretty funny. But anyway.
0: Um, so that's John Mulvaney? Yeah,
2: John Mulvaney. I said Mulvaney. Yeah, Mulvaney. Sorry. Mulvaney's
0: the um, like secretary of war for Russia
1: <laughs> okay
2: well
0: I threw a in
1: maybe he there. has a thing too he, he does he entertains his party guests with this whole bit
2: he might I have a tendency to throw in extra letters to names that don't need to be there but in any case or or drop them uh, so that was the secondary timeline then the tertiary or third timeline is the lone pine uh, timeline mm. the mall is now lone pine as because we see in another scene because Marty when he got... went back in time knocked down one yep. of the two pines Ran on it the farm. down. correct So, um, in the prime, it's the primary timeline where Doc is suicidal in the other timelines, of course, he knows that he's he's going to successfully invent it. So that answers that problem is that you have the three different timelines. I don't think we've answered any problems. (laughs) Um, okay. So I think those are kind of, that, that's sort of the main case. Okay. Uh, for the suicidal doc uh so i've seen I it know. before i, I yeah. think it's
1: i think there's uh there's substance to that yeah. theory now
2: christopher lloyd himself has refuted this theory but as i will always point out uh with my postmodern uh literary hat on mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what the artist thinks he's an unreliable um, narrator he's Correct. just an actor um it's what <laughs> they put out there mm-hmm. and the evidence thereof
0: so in there any you case, go Solid work. Well, his character on Taxi was really into autoerotic asphyxiation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Travis, you're up. All right, so um, I am without notes. That's fine. I'm just I'm just flying off the seat of my pants. Uh, is that how you say it? Flying by the seat of your pants. <laughs> I'm flying
1: off. I don't need you taking your pants off.
0: <laughs> uh, pants off, dance off. That's what you said on the calendar invite.
1: Damn it. You're uh, right.
0: So... I think that it's only fair that I'm without notes because a lot of times these conspiracy... Not conspiracy theories, but fan theories are um, birthed of hanging out and talking shit. Talking shit, drinking yes. beers. <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, the first one I'm going to go with is My Most Pedestrian, and I think it's pretty pretty out there, but it's uh, a John Hughes movie. It is called... Home Alone, oh. Home Alone from nice. 1990, and in the movie, uh, Kevin McAllister is a ten-year-old boy. In 1990, when I saw this movie, I was a ten-year-old boy, blonde hair, and blue eyes. Mm-hmm. I was a little Kevin McAllister.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so, in the film, he's he's oh my god, they forgot Kevin. He's left alone while his parents are on Christmas vacation. And he is left to his own devices. And by devices, I mean instruments of torture. Yes. Obviously, he's not uh, unprovoked. The wet bandits mm-hmm. are trying to rob his home and a lot of other places on the same block. They've cased the joint. Uh, they think everybody's going to be gone. And Kevin McAllister is there. He's, he's actually home alone. And so he rigs up all of these traps, these booby traps, uh, the, the bear, the bear trap, the, um, hot, the hot doorknob, the, um, the blowtorch on the head, the, the broken, the broken uh, Christmas ornaments that you have to walk through barefoot, John McClane style.
2: My favorite one was his ad-lib tarantula on the face of Daniel Stern, which led yes. to the greatest scream in cinematic history from Daniel Stern.
0: And so the theory, the working theory amongst Home Alone heads is that he grew up to be the main villain from the Saw franchise, Jigsaw.
1: Wow. Now, heard this, yeah.
0: some people point out that, yes, the, the actor who plays uh, Jigsaw Tobin, something Tobin, something like that. Uh, anyway, he's a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white male of a, an age that would fit in a chronological timeline. Yep. Um, and he himself is is an instrument of torture using all of these, some might say ingenious devices that cause misery to those he feels deserve it. So yeah, that's the, that's the first one is that Macaulay Culkin is Jigsaw. (laughs) You know, there's a Saw reboot coming up. Is it a reboot?
1: Or, I thought they like just a, did the 10th one, Saw 10, something, right? Saw something, X. Something's coming up, and it's being yeah. released the same weekend as the Paw Patrol movie. Oh, good. So now the uh. double feature is Saw Patrol. Saw Patrol. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That would I be like, awesome That's not hit, true, though, yeah.
0: is it? it is there really a Paw Patrol movie coming yeah. out at the same weekend as yeah. Saw? Well,
1: then that's fucking awesome. We're going to go watch <laughs> that, bro. I like that. I've, I've, I've heard that uh, theory, and I think that uh, it's got much like uh, Todd's. It's got substance. Oh, there's something about the furnace in Kevin's basement that
0: resembles one of the traps that saw uses Some inspiration. And so his I just, motivation, I just call him saw because yeah. we're cool like correct. that <laughs> and his motivation
2: presumably would be that he's traumatized from having been left alone mm-hmm. multiple times twice by his parents. twice
0: well if you if Which is counts. why he's capturing people bringing them close to correct, them. In, yeah, the Macaul- correct. in the McCulk in the verse he's been left alone twice right. but then you've got those other yeah, but it, you know, we don't we don't count those other Homies alone? That's what fans of Home Alone call themselves. Homies alone. Homies alone.
1: All right. My uh, first theory comes from uh, Film School Rejects. Okay. And it's regarding uh, Dr. Samuel Loomis. Ooh. Ah. Portrayed by Donald Pleasance from from the Halloween franchise. Halloween film. Right. Um, As we all know, he is the psychiatrist who is... Who tried to help Michael Myers as a boy, or did he create? Just Michael wait Myers. a minute, I'm getting there. And so he tried his damnedest to ultimately kill him.
0: For a right. second, I forgot we were doing fan theories. Which and it I seems was like that talking. would completely
1: get you disbarred, right? From All right. Being a, <laughs> so have you tried to kill your client. Here's the here's the crazy fan theory. They're patients, and you don't take a bar to be a psychiatrist. Now, psychiatrist. Whatever you call
2: it, the, this bar, whatever you call it.
1: In the film Psycho, yes. Janet Lee's character uh-huh. killed in the uh, shower scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Her boyfriend's character's name was Samuel Loomis. Nuh-uh. Um, and, but do you think John Carpenter just he, really liked Alfred Hitchcock? Wait a Hitchcock. minute. And he is the guy who caught... Norman Bates. Norman Bates at the end of the film. So the fan theory is that Norman Bates was
0: actually the killer, and his grandma wasn't. His mom wasn't even there.
1: He, you know, he became obsessed with uh, with uh, with psychiatry, and Uh, even went so far as become a child psychologist because he realized that these psychologists that these problems happen to children and they grow into grown up psychopaths, and ironically enough. Halloween stars, Jamie Lee Curtis, who is the daughter of Ooh, Janet Lee. Yes. you are right. <laughs> but yeah, so in the aftermath of all this, you know, he has all the guilt. He wants to be a catalyst for change. Yes. He wants to make sure it never happens again. Um, you know, his response to Meyer's escape is extreme, though. You know, he's just his doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he takes it personally. You know, right. not only does he want to catch him, but he wants to kill him. Right. He pursues him for five films. Yep. That's not just dedication. That's obsession. Yep. That's guilt. That's PTSD. Yep. Doctor Samuel Loomis is the same person in both films. Yep. That's badass. I
0: mean, I, I would. Where almost, does Malcolm uh, McDowell come into play
1: here?
2: <laughs> I would almost be. I'm, I'm probably 99% certain that the at, at the minimum, the Samuel Loomis name was intentional from John Carpenter right, right picking it out from that
0: movie.
1: Yeah, I would it, hope at, so. At right. Right. So that's if the... not
0: intentionally, then subconsciously, like yep. clearly the man was a horror fan and mm-hmm. it, he cut his teeth on some things like that. Yep. Yep. Very cool. All
2: oh, right. I so like is it.
0: that one for each of us? That's one for each of us. Is it time to do a beer check in? Go for it. Can we do a, I heard some fans had a theory <laughs> that this, this was a good idea for a beer. It's called spicy pickle monster. And do you like pickles? I love pickles, and I I'm, like, I'm a pickle fan. I like pickle beers. Do you like pickles, Todd? I am not a pickle. You're fan. not a pickle fan, like no. Uh, He's like sweet. sweet, dill, spicy, nothing. So I
2: if, if I'm getting, say, a chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A, I tell them no pickles. If they accidentally put it on there, it has to go back. But they the brine pickle, the chicken. You and, know and they you use pickle juice to, to brine just, the chicken. Because the pickle has Can... infiltrated the bread and the chicken, and there's no getting rid of that disgusting flavor. So no, I'm not a fan.
0: It actually at all. smells very mild. Yeah. In terms of pickles. Like I drink pickle juice and this does this does not smell like did you, do yes. y'all remember or did you ever try the pickle-flavored Gatorade that
2: came out a few years back? I did not.
0: No, but I would I love to. I uh, accidentally bought it. Was accidentally. Right oh, by yes. the way, this is my You thought it was just regular cucumber yeah. Gatorade. I can't
2: remember. what I think I did. Yeah, there was a
1: cucumber one. I can't remember what I thought. This but... is my Prairie Artisanales. Ales. Yeah, Prairie. Oklahoma. Okay. We like them. You know you want to try it. Oh, I definitely. Hold on. I've had, I've had er beers than this one. I like it. I like the the spice. Although I think they they really uh, missed the boat on naming it
0: um, Spicy Prickle Monster. Because Prairie Pickle?
1: Prickle. It should be noted that the can looks like the uh, Jaws movie poster. It does. All right. Let's motor through, unless somebody wants to take a peek. Round number two. All right. Yep. Glad you're up. All right. So this next
2: theory was introduced to me through... uh, an actual fan theory documentary that came out. thats a really cool documentary, if you've never seen it, about the film The Shining called Room 237.
0: I have seen yes. this. this is great. And it's
2: great. So there, there are multiple theories that, that are presented in that movie, and uh, you know the, the filmmaker just lets each one of them kind of go through the evidence, and they're all kind of compelling in their own way. But the one that I latched onto uh, was the theory that the film is a confession from Stanley Kubrick that he helped fake the footage from the moon landing.
1: Okay, obviously
2: there's no
0: moon. <laughs> yeah.
2: Now the guy in room 237 is very careful to say, "I'm not saying that we didn't land on the moon. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that the footage is faked." I, and so, and so this is kind of cobbled together are evidence from him and also uh, other things that I found. Uh, and I became increasingly compelled by what I what I kept finding uh, so th- essentially the grandfather you, you kind of have to go back a little bit about the fake moon landing stuff because it doesn't start with that movie um, there was uh, this guy uh, William a uh, casing uh, who was an engineer for NASA who uh, self-published a book in the 70s where he claimed that the, that the whole thing was fake and he went through all this evidence that kind of thing so it kind of begins with that guy um, but uh, when the uh, the Shining was made, um, you know Kubrick. Well, well, going back, actually, you have to go back to 2001, right? Because the Kubrick, Space Odyssey. Yeah, a Space Odyssey, because Kubrick uh, filmed some footage in space that would have made him a prime candidate to have been the person to to do this, right? All right. So anyway, so I'll, I'll get into it. So so here's uh, some of the evidence. I thought the most compelling piece of evidence uh, that was presented by uh, the guy speaking in uh, room t- 237 was he... Uh, and he showed pictures to go alongside of it. And so uh, you'll have to watch the movie to kind of see these pictures. You might be able to find them online. But he argues that you can see evidence of front projection in the NASA footage. So for those of you who don't know what front projection is, that's a that's a film term. I just jotted down the definition. Uh, so... The effects uh, process in film production, it's, it's an effects process in film production for combining foreground performance with pre-filmed background footage. So in other words, you have your actors in the foreground and then later on in the editing process, they stick project. something in the back. Right, project what they want into uh, the background. And hes he points out uh, evidence that of the front projection. There's a little image that he shows first in the shining when there was, we know front projection used, uh, that he circles on the, or the, or the, I don't know if he does it, but it gets circled. Uh, the director may have done it on the screen. That's this little vague image that you can see. And then he shows the NASA footage and that exact same Ooh. image is in, is visible. Okay. In a similar spot. So, the claim is that this is the evidence of front projection being used, in which case, you know, that would be the evidence that it was fake. That this was uh, okay. Uh, so that, so I thought that was pretty compelling, just because of the visual imagery. And I encourage everyone to seek out that that uh, that that image, uh, because when I saw it in the film, I was like, whoa, that's actually kind of hard to explain. Um, there may be an explanation, but. I wasn't interested in finding those. So um, another part of this theory is the hotel carpet, which has a very distinct yeah. orange and maroon color.
0: It's beautiful.
2: So there's one scene where Danny is playing on the carpet, and then there's a, a shot that goes up above, and that shot from up above, if you compare it to the Apollo 11 launch pad, looks eerily similar. Oh. Hmm. So if you compare that, that uh, shot... With the launch pad, very similar coincidence. Well, maybe, but then we keep compiling these things here. Um, other aspects of this uh, has to do with room 237 itself. In Stephen King's novel, the room was 217. So, why change it to 237? Does it have anything to do with the distance between the Earth and the Moon? Indeed, it does. Now, wow. Kubrick actually has said that uh, he was that the, ho- that the hotel that they were ba- that had re- uh, requested that they change it to 237 because they were worried that to, that the room 217 would then become a room that customers wouldn't want to stay in which sounded kind of flimsy mm-hmm. the guy in room 237 the documentary claims that he has called the hotel and they've told him that that uh, does not exist that room number so why would 237
0: Stanley... doesn't exist no 217 doesn't 217. exist so oh,
2: they wow wanted him, they wanted him to change it to 237 supposedly according to Kubrick in order so that it wouldn't be a real number in the hotel but there is a 237, but there's not a 277. No, there's not a 217 or a 237. Oh. but So, so it is arbitrary. So, okay. so in other words, Kubrick, for some reason, apparently, lied about the reason for changing it from 217 yeah. to 237. That doesn't seem like it could be arbitrary. And as as you noted, uh, the theory is that it was because the Earth, uh, this is from the Earth to the moon, is uh, 200 237 miles. 1,000. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yes, close. Travis isn't good with distances. <laughs> but but yes, yeah, so, so anyway, that's the theory about that. Um, uh, so, so that's another piece of evidence. Um, other stuff has to do with just the narrative itself. So at the beginning of the movie, uh, we see Jack and his wife talking to the hotel manager. And he mentions how uh, the hotel was built on an Indian burial ground.
0: Mm. And, they moved the headstones. Yes. They didn't move the bodies.
2: And in the same shot, in the background, is like an image of an eagle. So, supposedly, the theory goes, this is like, uh, you know, the crumbling American empire. And then the fiction writer, Jack Torrance, is there to write the lie. And so, therefore, he comes to represent Stanley Kubrick in that. The storyteller. The story-teller. Wow. The storyteller. Okay. Um... Winter Storm, uh, 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 referencing the Cold War. Hmm. So, um, now, why would they need to fate this? Okay, so the theory of that goes, so the moon landing happened in 1969. JFK, who is now lionized because of his assassination, promised that we would get to the moon before the end of the 1960s. Or
0: at least before the Russians.
2: Correct. The Russians, though... A lot of people around this time were surprised that the U.S. got there first because the thought had been that the Russians were ahead of us in the space race. But we were way ahead of them in filmmaking. So the thought was that, okay, so Hmm. we've got to fake it in order to give the illusion that we have beaten the Russians to the moon. Um, now, I should note that 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 part of the theory is not what the guy in the documentary was talking about because he, again, he he's careful to say I'm not claiming that you know we didn't go to the moon that kind of thing.
0: Will you say it um, like a honeymooner?
2: Oh, to the moon, to the moon, Alice. Bang zoom. Yeah. Uh, you know Jack's novel as he's writing it, evidence of the collapsing mind and the need to confess. Okay. Um, oh, 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 and I got to point out one more. There's a bunch of these, but I, I won't belabor it. Uh, one that's very important, though, is that Danny Torrance, uh, in one scene, before he goes into room 237, uh, stands up, and he is wearing a sweater that has the yes, 11 that's on. Yes, that's Apollo, true. Apollo, yeah, it's a beautiful and, sweater. And one more. Stephen King in his novel. So, there's the infamous scenes in the movie The Shining with those creepy-ass twins that gave me nightmares Mm -hmm. uh, as a kid. Well, in Stephen King's novel, it was just one daughter. Why twins? Well, it's a reference, apparently, of the Gemini mission. Gemini. Gemini. Which references twins and the fact that the Gemini
1: mission was faked. Okay. I should note to the listeners that uh, Todd is wearing a tinfoil hat.
0: I also wanted to ask you, though, like, during your research, when did you really, really start to feel paranoid? Uh, the, the the images
2: of the front projection yeah. were kind of compelling. For the record, I don't actually believe this, but the, the front projection images are... Kind of compelling. I'm sure there may be some film expert out there that could give an answer for this. And there, th- there was an article actually that I found that I di- I decided to wait to read until after this uh, podcast because I didn't want to ruin my enthusiasm. Uh, but it, it apparently like chops apart all the different theories. So I'll I'll read that after after the episode at some
1: Did Neil Armstrong punch a guy for saying that the moon landing was faked? If he didn't, he should have. I think he did. <laughs> Another
0: fan theory, um, the word paranoid is actually rooted in the combination of the noid being into paranormal research. Nice. Hmm. Paranoid. I like that. That's that's good. I'm actually pulling an audible here. I'm switching my last two because this one I'm kind of going to refute. Okay. I'm kind of going to refute this. So Shark Tank style, you can't pick this
1: one. So you're bombing your own moment in front of the sharks. Kind of. Okay. Kind of. Yeah.
0: All right. So the theory is that the Blair Witch Project. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, or let's just go back a little bit. The Blair Witch Project itself was kind of in the same realm as fan theory because it was presented as actual found footage before right. the movie came out. And um, it, it did eventually get revealed that it was – Uh, A work of fiction. And if you watch the movie, the end of the movie, the credits say written and directed (laughs) by blah, blah, blah. So uh, it's not real. But it still fucking scares me, man. I rewatched it the other day and I got scared. So which of the fan theories? Because there are two that I know of. So the uh, predominant theory is that uh, Mike and Dave, who need wedding dates, are actually the murderers of Heather on this expedition for a documentary supposedly uh to capture images of the blair witch now there is some evidence to support this one is that uh heather never knew mike prior to this trip she had never met him two is that even though josh was her ex boyfriend but they are now supposedly amicably friends uh, he's very like verbally abusive and emotionally abusive to her um, not only in the film but on the website of the Blair Witch uh, prior to the film being released there was a diary from Heather and it mentions how he was just basically constantly a dick to her um, wasn't wasn't Josh the one that recruited Mike yes okay yeah that's another yes. yeah and so the idea is that these, sounds that they hear could have been engineered by Mike, who's an audio engineer, and that um, maybe it was a plot. The whole thing was set up to kill her. So having rewatched this movie, I think that there's something to that, but not exactly that. I don't think there was a plot to kill Heather. Okay. If you're assuming that... Mike and Josh actually killed Heather. I think it happened as a result of what they were going through along the trip. I think that they only needed a reason to kill her. And the fact that her um, confidence in herself and her, um, her compass skills and map reading skills, her skills of navigation, um, basically got them stranded in the middle of nowhere uh and they all kind of went a little bit crazy they're they're malnourished they're dehydrated they're feeling the effects of exposure plus there's this extra uh point of heightened tension because they're supposed to be there to witness something quote-unquote evil you know So my theory is that no, they weren't initially planning on killing Heather, but they got out there and they both got so pissed off at her (laughs) that they murdered her Mm -hmm. and did a very, very elaborate documentary style found footage uh, cover up, if you will. Yeah. Clever. Now there's problems with that theory too, because would they have the time to... In between getting pissed off and murdering her, come up with this whole scheme about uh, we're gonna we're gonna record sounds in the woods and we're gonna make all these little trinkets and leave them and oh we know we actually know where this old abandoned house is in the middle of the woods that's where we'll kill her even though we're actually lost which is why we're mad in the first place so it's it's pretty fucking uh, complex and. Most people wouldn't even get it.
1: All right, so here's my theory. And this one's a long one, so you're going to have to bear with me. It is by far the most far-fetched that I've come across in my research. But I believe it. The theory is, and this comes from a YouTube channel called Rhino Stew. Rhino Stew, S-T-E-W. I'd try it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wouldn't turn it down. I'd try it. The <laughs> film Snowpiercer is a sequel okay. to the movie Willy Wonka Whoa. I stumbled across this one but I didn't delve too far into it so. there's
0: some other Willy Wonka ones out there
1: too yeah, Willy Wonka themes show up in a lot of films. Yeah. When I heard this one, I was like, that's ridiculous. But now that i thought about it and I've mm-hmm. seen this guy's evidence. Mm-hmm.
2: And I just saw Snowpiercer a couple months ago for the first time, so all this right. is good. So both films,
1: both films feature a group of people who work their way through a large, fantastic structure, and mm-hmm. one by one, a person is removed. In each room, until the very end, one person discovers the entire thing was a test because a wealthy industrialist needs a successor.
2: Okay. I'm following Fuck. You so far. ed I'm following harris you.
1: essentially is the adult version of charlie Bucket. Mm. all right some things okay. to think about there's some themes in here um, you know economic class structures yeah both feature children both s- center around food um you know the themes of sacrifice choice free will play out in both movies and so you have the evidence um you have state-of-the-art food production in both films right you have experimental transportation in both films Mm -hmm. and Snowpiercer itself willy wonky you've got the crazy elaborate Mm -hmm. contraptions that they're riding on sure uh both are 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 sealed systems you have the sealed factory Mm -hmm. uh they're self-contained they're self-sustaining you know uh Snowpiercer is described in the film as a closed ecosystem, and Willy Wonka, you know, they say nobody goes in, nobody comes out. Right. Um, so suppose that Charlie forsakes his name and assumes the Wonka identity, mm-hmm. Willy, A.K.A. Wilfred Wonka.
0: Wait, is mm-hmm. his character's name Wilfred? In... Yes. Okay. In
1: Snowpiercer, and is he a dog? No. In Willy Wonka, the W is ever present, branding mm-hmm. Willy Wonka. Mm-hmm. In Snowpiercer, the W is everywhere. Okay. It also like film.
0: it makes sense to make that connection because the original uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is set during the Industrial Revolution mm-hmm. in England. Right. And then you've got the results of all this over industrialization.
1: True. Uh, you know, population must be contained uh, mm-hmm. to keep Snow Piercer self uh, sustaining right. at 74%. Uh, you know, they need to maintain proper balance of anxiety and fear, chaos and horror. Okay. Um, they even borrowed Wonka's method of hiding messages in food and using spies throughout the film. Um, uh-huh. there's, even the, good, there's even pretty the, good. There's even them. I'm buying this. Yeah. There's even the theory, you know, uh, uh what's the, uh, what's the dude that was one of the Dr. Who's with the glasses, David Tennant. The, no, the old man, uh, the old man Gilliam is his character's name. So the theory is that he's the guy that was playing Slugworth in the first film, just aged up, essentially uh-huh. occupying the exact same role in, uh-huh. in both films. Um, and so the question, of course, is what about the Oompa Loompas? The yeah, Loompas the, I was going to ask that. Okay. Well, the Oompa Loompas just went extinct because they were all male. They couldn't. They could not reproduce.
0: Well, maybe they just don't show the girl Oompa
1: but, Loompas. But Snowpiercer is still operated by tiny people, children. Uh-huh. The entire, Ooh, right, the entire right, structure there is there, dependent yeah. on small people. Right. So you have a continuation of this crazy notion that it's mm. got to be small things operating the, the machine. Uh-huh. They can fit in those little spaces. And then, of course, at the end of the film, it all centers around selfless sacrifice. Right. And, and so, yeah, you've got a it continuation really of the Wonka themes. And yeah. so the and then when you just kind of like say, well, what if this then this and this... Yeah, uh, Charlie Bucket is is Wilfred. Yeah.
2: Well, and and uh, I saw. So when I ran across this again, I didn't read it in depth, but I remember that in the one that I saw, they were showing like juxtapositions of pictures of different ones that they were claiming were similar characters. Did you run across any? I didn't run across any okay. of that. No,
1: wait, wait, who's I'm Veruca sorry. Salt? I'm sorry, he did do that. He said, "Skip it if you're not interested," and I really wasn't interested okay, in okay. that. But yeah, he did do that. Is Tilda okay.
0: Swinton Veruca Salt? I think
2: that's I think that's what it was.
0: Boom! Nailed it again. Well, that was a- <laughs>
2: <laughs> no but um yeah there was images though of the you know doppelganger type thing going on there and so.
1: and Travis to your point about Willy Wonka though the, yes. you know Willy Wonka has Popped up in a lot of uh, comparisons to other films, the menu being the most recent yes. one where I went like shit crazy saying it's Willy Wonka, it's Willy yep. Wonka, down to the one where she goes into his office and to confront Ray Fines, mm-hmm. and it's an inverse of Willy Wonka's office. You still have the ever present ticking of the clock that and the clicking of the typewriter. If people, if people haven't seen the menu, oh, check the menu. So out. good. So yeah, uh, I thought that one was a lot of fun. I thought it was Fines. Yeah, that was Fines. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we're on to round three. Okay. Yes. Uh, yes. Let's let Travis go, because I think you and I, Todd, are going to do another John Hughes thing. Okay. All right, so that's cool. Uh, this is
0: the one that I actually think is the most convincing. We're going to have to transport ourselves to the realm of a dystopian future. The We're not in one now? The Thunderdome world the Mad Max world the Mad Maxiverse, okay if you will the Maxiverse uh, the <laughs> road warriorverse <laughs> uh so it's it's uh, all about Mad Max and uh so obviously we started out with the movie Mad Max that came out in the 1970s road and that well the sequel Mad Max 2 was known as Road Warrior in the United States and then you have Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, which all-starred Mel Gibson. Then we have a lull in the Mad Maxiverse for quite some time in our timeline. Uh, many, many years go by before another Mad Max movie comes out. And then the original director, George Miller, right? George yes. Miller uh, gets his shit together and makes a new very, very good Mad Max movie Mm -hmm. starring a a very versatile actor, Tom Hardy, Mm -hmm. um, as uh, Max Rokotansky. Rokotansky, I believe, is is what his name is. Um, But it's given as free information to the audience that this takes place 40 years after like the apocalypse or whatever the end of the world and the timeline doesn't make sense for tom hardy's version of max to be the same person as mel gibson's not even talking about their age their ages as humans talking about the timeline between when the world ended when mad max happens and then how far we are into the future after that when Fury Road happens. Mm -hmm. And so the theory is that Tom Hardy's character, much like a Willy Wonka passing of the baton, is not actually Mel Gibson's version, but the feral child from Mad Max 2, a.k.a. the Road Warrior. And I think that there's... A lot of credence that could be, be paid to that theory. I think that it's uh,
1: mm-hmm. it's pretty solid. What do you guys think? I buy into it. Yeah, the feral child didn't say much. Right. Neither did this version mm-hmm. of Max. Correct. Uh, he was a silent hero in this mm-hmm. film. He didn't. It, it was clearly it was uh, uh, Furiosa's movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, it was a Morton Joes movie. If I'm being hey. honest. <laughs> uh, they both have really good tans. I don't think Todd's ever seen my Morton Joe cosplay. Oh yeah, it was amazeballs. <laughs> but uh, that's my take. I, I, I'm buying this one. I'm buying yeah. this theory 100. Yeah. percent Yeah, yeah. That's that's why I saved it for third. Okay. All Todd, right. you got any input on that? Do you think it's gonna it, does it hold water? Oh no,
2: I, th- I think it, I think it holds water. The of time,
1: my the, of the my three line, theories, that, which one do you think is the most I likely? Think that's Probably, especially
2: since you pretty much refuted your own second theory. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, you weren't supposed to buy that
2: right, one. You right. tanked so, in the shark
1: tank. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah,
0: no, I'm, I'm
2: totally buying tank that one. Commander. Uh, the timeline argument, I think sells it for me.
1: All right. So I'm going to go ahead and jump in and give you my John Hughes theory. And that is from, uh, I've seen it in a couple of places. I'm going to credit Cracked.com because that's going to be the one that you're going to be able to find Cracked.com! You'll be able to find it there first, but there it's, it's shopped in other places. Uh, the idea is that the movie Breakfast Club, where you've got the diverse group of mm-hmm. white people mm-hmm. uh, occupying several <laughs> social tasks, spend yeah. a Saturday well, in detention. One of them's a ginger. The theory is that uh, it's all in Allison's head. Ally mm. Sheedy's character, okay. who is termed in the film, basket case. Right. The entire thing is all in her mind. Mm. If you go to the beginning of the film, the last person to enter the room is Allison. Everyone else is already there. And they occupy these staggeringly stereotypical archetypes. Right. And they even, they even say it in the film, the jock. The dweeb. Yep. Uh What did they say? Molly Ringwald was the princess, or yeah, or, something like that. And, and then, then you've got the the drug head. Uh, yep. um, mm-hmm. so, I, yeah. So, yeah. and then you think about some of the other things that happen in the film. You know, you've also got the principal Skinner. I, I'll get there in a second. You, the, you know, you you have um, them hot boxing in the library. Mm-hmm. Okay. Producing. Copious amounts of weed smoke yeah, that would yeah. travel through the ventilation. I wouldn't sure, know, if they're yeah. being supervised. Sure. Um, uh, 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 Judd breaks the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a dance party when they're supposed to be being quiet. Uh, then uh, Emilio Estevez breaks glass with his scream. Yep. Uh, when the principal has established himself as a hard ass who's going to be, mm-hmm. you know keeping his eye on him so so you know nobody heard this and then of course the idea is that you have a teacher slash principal who agreed to be at detention on a saturday and he's the only one there and he's not even really watching them except for the janitor right so the idea is that this was all a fantasy concocted in her head Mm. to have friends To fit in because you have these this magical reconciliation at the end of the film she has the moment where she becomes beautiful in the end and gets the jock and gets the jock so the entire movie is nothing but a fantasy fabricated by a very fragile mind that makes a lot of sense in her own
0: fantasy why would she have dandruff uh
1: that's a little bit of reality bleeding through sure okay sure um so yeah I think that uh I think that one's a, that was a it's a short one, but it's a good one. Yeah, I like that one. I can I dig like it. That one. Uh, can but what about it. Principal Skinner? It's not Principal Skinner. Yes, but if you mess with the bull, you get you the get horns. horns. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, Todd. So hit us. this
2: this next one that I'm doing is actually a fairly well known uh, fan theory. Um, if you google that you know movie fan theories this will inevitably pop up in almost every article so it has to do with the uh, film uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off from 1986 and so this film just briefly uh, has to do with this character Ferris Bueller who is a charmer who everybody loves Uh, he fakes being sick to uh, have uh, a cut day essentially Mm -hmm. with his girlfriend Sloan and his best friend Cameron the principal you know Knows that, you know, is on to Ferris and is trying to catch him in the act, essentially. So yes. that that's the bare bones of what the plot is. Now, the theory behind this movie is what is known as the Tyler Durden theory. So mm-hmm. we have to go back to what does Tyler Durden refer to, of course, Fight Club, uh, in which uh, the... Uh, protagonist spoilers. of the... Fi- yeah, there's going to be lots of spoilers coming up, so if you haven't <laughs> seen those movies. Uh, but uh, So the protagonist played by Edward Norton, uh, as we find out later in the movie, he has this friend, uh, Tyler Durden, who he meets. It turns out, long story short, that Tyler Durden is essentially an alter ego that he has manifested uh, to act in ways that he, as himself, is not capable of acting.
0: According to fan theories. Right.
2: So applying that theory. So some people have applied this to Ferris Bueller uh, and the ideas that uh, Cameron, who is the Edward Norton character Mm -hmm. version in Ferris Bueller, he's this basket case. He doesn't stand up for himself to his dad, et cetera. Um, Afraid afraid to take chances, that kind of thing, that he's the doppelganger of the Edward Norton character. And then uh, Ferris Bueller is actually not real. He's like the Brad Pitt slash Tyler Durden, uh, the alter ego of Cam and what he wants to be. And so the film essentially acts as uh, a fantasy almost of Cameron, who is real, uh, being the the version of himself that he wishes that he could be. Okay. So I start, this is a pretty popular theory. Uh, It's been mentioned in other TV shows, films, things like that. I like to
0: think of it more of as a, Uh, Like Calvin and Hobbes Mm -hmm. relationship. Yeah, the the Calvin and
2: Hobbes thing came in at some point, but I can't remember how. Anyway, so
0: which one is the id and which one is the
2: ego? I don't remember my Freud. I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) All right. So, as I started re re watching Ferris Bueller uh, for this podcast with that theory in mind, within five minutes I was like, no, this doesn't work. Uh, And so I was close to abandoning it or texting Sean and saying, hey, can I just cross-examine this thing instead of, uh, uh, you know, arguing for it. But then I had a revelation. So the Tyler Durden theory is on the right track and is almost right, but there are a couple of problems. So in, and so we have to go back to Fight Club and talk about Fight Club in order to understand this. So wh- First how the rule we- of Fight
0: Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. Correct.
2: But we're going to have to here. So the name Tyler Durden is so. So one of the clever plot elements of Fight Club that, that leads you, if you've never seen the movie, to kind of falling for this, uh, you know, idea that they're doppelgangers or, or missing it is the fact that the name Tyler Durden is repeated by many other characters in the film. So, you know, Tyler Durden exists and you assume that it's Brad Pitt. But one thing that's easy not to notice as the movie's progressing is that we never get a name for Edward Norton's character. Mm -hmm. And, of course, as we learn by the end of the film, the reason for that is because Edward Norton's character is, in fact, Tyler Durden. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and so it's both. With the Ferris Bueller theory, the problem is is they apply one part to it, which is they're they're doing the neat thing where it's, okay, uh, Edward Norton's character is Cam because they're both basket cases essentially and then Tyler Durden and Ferris are the alter egos in Ferris Bueller's day off all of the characters at some point or other mention Ferris Bueller there are scenes that Ferris Mm -hmm. Bueller are not in where Ferris Bueller's name is mentioned they spray painted on the water tower save Ferris yes we know from the evidence that the movie gives us that Ferris Bueller exists well who we don't but Cameron Mm -hmm. only two characters in the entire movie mention Cameron's name or even acknowledge his existence. And one and of them is Ben Stein,
1: <laughs> who we know is a crackpot nutcase <laughs> with <Sloan>. crazy ideas. <laughs> and Sloane. Sloan oh, you know what? I kind name. of
2: forgot about because he does say Mister Whatever. Right? Fry. Uh, okay. Fry. Well, and and Sloane Sloan calls him part. by name too. Yeah. Well, that's why that, those were the two I was thinking of: Ferris and Sloane are the two you've already kind of poked a little bit of a hole Sorry, in. Sorry. But anyway,
1: you, um ben Stein's crazy though, so yeah. ignore him. I he, wasn't thinking about the Mia last Sarah. names, I guess.
2: Uh yeah, but anyway, so, well, I, one I'm, of my I'm girls gonna, I'm going to plow along anyway though. So, <laughs> um I I still think this theory though holds up better. So, uh-huh. C- Cameron is hardly mentioned at all, no one acknowledges his existence. So, uh the, the, so instead, so what it is is it's not that Cam's real and then Ferris is the version of himself that he wishes he could be. It's actually almost the opposite. Ferris Bueller is uh, trying to create this facade of this perfect guy who everybody loves and has this perfect relationship with his parents. And Cam is the alter ego who is his, uh, his, his insecure self trying to pipe in. And so that's why you see Ferris try to charm, even manipulate at times, kind of as an asshole to Cam a lot of the time. He's being an asshole to that part of himself that he wishes to quiet down. Now, let me continue. I'm going to have to continue a little bit further, I think, to convince on this. So, first off, I think we all know in general, when we're, we're all like Ferris's sister when we're in high school, right? Where we get annoyed with the perfect person. They get away with everything. I don't know what but you're talking we, about. Yeah. <laughs> As we get older, though, we know, though, that usually someone who projects a perfect facade, we know that's not real. Yeah. We almost feel sorry for them, in fact. Don't skip leg day, bro. Exactly. This this character of Ferris, where he's perfect, everybody loves him, his parents love him, he can't do no wrong. It's a facade. Okay? What's some evidence that I can use to support this? So it does look on the surface that he does, in fact, have a great relationship to his parents. I would contend that... Cam railing against his own father is Ferris railing against the dad that we see in the film. My evidence for this is that um, okay, we see them being kind of you know, he's he calls them Champ. They're being nice to each other, but we also see a scene where uh, and the 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 scene where uh, they're at a, a restaurant. Uh, Ferris and his two friends, mm-hmm. his dad happens to be there. Ferris's dad, so they're trying to avoid being seen and there's this whole scene where their dad's going to get into a cab he gets distracted they hop into a cab that was intended for them and roll off there's a scene where
1: he's
0: trying to avoid being seen
2: yes by his dad but there's one thing about that scene though that i think is notable for my theory which is that his dad's being kind of a jerk and an asshole to
1: his colleagues that he's talking to because he's an ad man and we're all assholes yes would you call him a madman Probably. And by the way, he was taking Abe Frohman to lunch. Yes. The sausage king of Chicago? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Oh, right, yeah.
2: So anyway, but this nice guy routine that Ferris' dad is pulling maybe isn't so true. Maybe he's kind of an asshole under the surface. Maybe he's a little bit demanding of Ferris that we see. We get a little bit of a scene there. Another scene with the dad at the end is when uh, Ferris is trying to beat him home, and Ferris's dad keeps getting slowed down in traffic. The old lady, yeah, and he's kind of cursing, you know, getting angry—not just with the little old lady, but with other things that happen in there too. And so we're seeing this other side of Ferris's dad that I think could suggest potentially that uh, he and you know he might be a little bit more of a hard ass than what the facade that we see mm-hmm. is. Another thing about Cam's house, quote unquote, and where the cars are stored. So this is set in a suburb of a city. Yep. Cameron's house in this, and the and the uh, 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 carport where the luxury cars are kept. It's not a wooded Cam's lot. Dad. No, it, well, it's like it's like it looks like a woods. It looks like now they're supposed to be in a suburb. Why are we all of a sudden in like this wooded area? My theory is that this is actually Ferris's father's little man cave type area that he goes to get away from, you know, Mm. Ferris and the gang. Why else would someone that lives in a city be in the woods all of a sudden? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's
1: interesting. You should say that because we really, other than uh, Cameron's bedroom. Yeah. We don't see anything else of that house. Yeah, we see the outside of it, and it
2: does not look like the house of someone who would own luxury cars, which would lend itself to the idea that it's not a primary residence, that it may be okay. a lake a house type thing. Or, yeah, perhaps a, la- a lake Smash house pad. type thing, whatever. Smash pad. Yeah, man cave, whatever you want to call it. That's, uh, ha- so my theory is that... showed this- abode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so my theory anyway is that when we see Cam slash Ferris, uh, in this wooded area with the cars, that's actually Ferris's dad's uh, area that he's not supposed to be in, and he's not supposed to be touching
1: the cars and all Off and, and this kind of stuff. Off limits. Love it. Correct. All okay. right. So, so that's your theory. Yes. I think that uh, I think you've you've refined the uh, the Fight Club theory. Yeah. I hope so. I think you've definitely added. I mean, you kind
0: of did the same thing I did with Blair Witch. I think so. You kind of argued against the theory. I did,
1: but I refined it. All right, All right, so we're going to wrap it up. Do we want to declare a winner, or do we all win today, or do we all lose today? I think
0: just the fact that we're even here talking about this for this length of time means we're all
1: losers. We're all losers. <laughs> yeah, all right, I'm going to hit yeah. you with some rapid fire before we before we call it a day. Okay, are these, these ones are, that we these didn't are, talk about? No, no, no. No comments necessary. These are just some that I saw that, you know, Darth Jar Jar. The mm. whole idea that Jar Jar was oh, a yeah. Sith Lord. I thought I you saw said no one. comments. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, Sandy died on the beach in Greece. All
0: right, no, she dies at the beginning of the movie. I've got some too. Go ahead.
1: Uh, Trimmers and Footloose take place in the same town. The reason that they Kevin didn't Bacon, want them to dance was because of the vibration. They wanted them to vibrate. The, All right, the I ground. got one.
0: I got one. Uh, Jack is a time traveler in Titanic. Yes. Yes. he's going back to keep Kate Winslet from killing herself thus not allowing the Titanic to sink and correcting yep. the timeline. Yeah, because
1: there's a lot of continuity errors that are in the screen. I blue. think you mm-hmm. both heard this one before. Garland from Con Air, the serial killer, is Donnie in Big Lebowski. Oh, no! I have not heard that one. Yeah, either. he gets I, away at the end of Con Air in Vegas. He gets away too. He, mm. he, he starts killing bowling like guys in bowling leagues. When he basically kills out all the pool, he moves to Los Angeles and finds the two most egotistical guys who will never ask questions about him to hang out with every time we see Donnie Bowling he's wearing someone else's bowling shirt with a different name on it wow okay. boom
0: okay. alright I got one um, the Joker is an Iraq war veteran <laughs> and Which we're talking Joker? about oh, Heath Ledger's, Heath Ledger's yeah. Joker, okay, yes. I'll buy that
1: mm-hmm. uh, Back to the Future and the Goonies take place on the same day this isn't a fan theory it just, it's just fact uh, October 26th 1985 the Goonies we know happen on a Saturday Uh, but we we see that there is a uh, there's like a a newspaper that basically is into that month Mm -hmm. so if you look back it has to happen on that day which movie came out first though Um, they both came out in 80 well I guess in advance of 85 Um, and uh, yeah and the Fratelli's article was on October 24th saying that they had escaped from prison so both of those happened on the same day okay Uh, another theory James Bond is actually just a code name hmm Here's the other one. Uh, the Sean Connery's character in The Rock is James Bond, who got oh, arrested yeah. Yeah. and imprisoned. I saw that one, yeah. So that that's another one that's out there. So okay. there are tons and tons of fan theories that are a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And like how Epstein did 9-11? Epstein did do 9-11 by himself. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. I'm glad that, uh, that you checked out our crazy fan theories. Uh, we did not create these, although I think some of us modified them embellished yeah Yeah. if you have any of your own please contact us on all the social medias Mm -hmm. at cinema chop shop uh you can also listen to a video of this on youtube at cinema chop shop podcast and uh we've got some fun stuff coming up in the near future we've got time for plugs well i will get there we've got two watch parties on the horizon Uh uh-huh And I cannot wait to get to those two. Uh, We've also got some fun episode ideas coming up as well. Plugs. Travis. Uh, I want to plug the Vibes
0: food truck that is today located, as of this recording, at the Eats on the Creek Food Truck Park here in Florence, South Carolina. And it's a Caribbean, Jamaican-style food truck. I had braised oxtail. Mm. Oh, my God. It was so good. But like I was telling you earlier, it's kind of like when you give a dog one of those slow feeder bowls and you he has to like figure it out because that's how it is eating oxtail because the bones are intricate. It's like, yeah, it's intricate. Very good. Yes. Um, and we brought Max, the good boy. Plug out, plug out to Max. <laughs> <laughs> he listens. Todd, you got any uh, plugs there? Uh, well, just I always
2: try to plug uh, movies that I liked. Uh, I kind of went down a, a rabbit hole of Italian Polizia films from the 70s that were highly influential. For does that mean police? Quentin. Yes, yes, okay. does For uh, Quentin Tarantino, particularly mm-hmm. a director named Fernando De, Le- De Leo. Like, uh, they had a collection of his mo- curated collection of his movies on the Criterion Channel that's actually gone away now. Um, and, uh, and so I just watched all five of those, and they are awesome, incredible, amazing chase scenes. Uh, you can see the influence on Tarantino. Lots of fun. I've watched a few other of the, that genre. Since then, it was a genre that I was, had not really explored that much. So uh, it's, I'm having fun uh, kind of delving into that.
0: Hell yeah. I got I'll, another one. Go. Can I have another plug? Go. Uh, I am quitting Twitter. Okay. I actually quit Twitter. I deactivated my Twitter account. Right, because my, you're on X. I now. mean, my X account. <laughs> uh, I deleted my X's account on Twitter. No, I, um, I'm done with it. Yeah.
1: And it's just it's redundant and not worth the annoyance. The app itself is getting so buggy and yeah. ridiculous. It's the worst app about refreshing and keeping stuff. And for some reason, I only get alerts from ABC News now. I don't know why. That's weird. Uh, so, henceforth all of my
0: movie marathon check-ins will be on facebook and of course on letterboxd where you can find me as tron329 nice
1: mm-hmm. um all right that's gonna do it for this week uh, we'll be back in two weeks with something we're not sure yet what it's gonna be but uh <laughs> stick around check it out and um be good to yourselves, love your neighbor and and each other. And as your, Jerry each other. Springer would say. Uh, call love your, yourself. Call your parents, tell them you love them too. Why not? Mm-hmm. And please, my dad called me and he told me he's very worried about China. Oh, well, you know, the, you know, every time you call your parents you're going to get something. He called you know? me. Yeah, and they call you to give you more <laughs> baggage. All right, that's it. Uh Let's all go to the lobby. Wrong song, wrong song. (laughs) So, until next time, please remember to watch Chop Chop Retrofit. Retrofit. Thanks for joining us, Travis.